This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Murray, State the Bears, Stephen Means. This is the defensive portion of the start of spring practice for Ohio State. Tuesday morning, we got to watch about 20 minutes. Stephen watched the defense. I watched the offense. Nathan watched the quarterbacks. We did an offensive pod that went up like at 4.30 on Tuesday afternoon. So if you did not listen to the offensive portion, we would direct you back to that. Quarterbacks, you guys wouldn't know the positions on offense are. This is defense. We're going to talk about Jim Knowles. We did speak with Jim Knowles. We spoke with Ryan Day, Devin Brown, Kyle McCord. We covered that in the offense pod. This is Jim Knowles time. We got him for about 15, 17 minutes after practice on Tuesday. We are digging in on the defense. And let's right off the bat, Stephen, we're going to lean on you a little bit here because, again, you were assigned to watch the defense I was talking about guys on the offense pod that you look and you say, oh, man, and maybe they look like Georgia guys. And that, to me, is like those guys who walk off the bus and they just, these are tremendous physical athletes who then develop into great defensive players. And I thought there were some guys on the offense that fit that bill. And I think there's a couple guys on the defense, and you were nodding with that idea. Let's start with the defensive guys that maybe were new that caught your eye that looked like Georgia guys. And that's going to be a shorthand for highly trained, athletic, high level, great defensive players. So last year, Sonny Styles wore number 20. And, you know, we know the deal with Sonny. He's the five-star recruit who's got all the hype in the world. He looks the part, yada, yada, yada. So we get out there today, and I'm looking for defensive backs. And at first, I see a number 20. And I'm like, oh, man, why is Sonny Styles with the cornerbacks? That's a little out of the box, even for a guy we think they can get outside the box with. And then I'm standing next to Landis, and he goes, no, that's Davis and Igbenosa. And I go, oh, okay. That is he does not look like the right. He is big. He is listed at six foot two, 187 pounds. And he looks every bit of that six foot two, 187 pounds. A lot of the other corners on the team are around six foot, maybe even five eleven. They're shorter, smaller corners. This guy is physical. He looks like he can get into some guys. And I understand now that you see a guy like that in person and you pair it with maybe some of the issues we saw at corner last year, especially with physicality, whether it's because guys were hurt or just not being physical enough. I understand why they went out and got this guy just from an eye test standpoint. Long length, man, long length. It's like one of these ridiculous things. So I think somebody at the combine might even said they were, he, they had the longest length they've seen. It's like, okay, just he's, but it was odd, Nathan. It's almost I almost wanted to tell the Ohio State coaches to chill out a little bit because I think both Jim Knowles and Ryan Day said he played in the SEC last year. And it's like, listen, man, we can't 
fight against SEC bias yeah. and like complain when everybody in the world acts like the SEC is the greatest thing on earth. And then have you be like, he played at Mississippi State. It's like, you're Ohio State. What are you talking about? But Nathan, this is one of the guys that t- is, it's just a little different. And just like Jelani Thurman caught my eye offensively, I think Davison Igbenosin, I think, made his presence felt. And Jim Knowles then came in and talked about it. This is a guy that absolutely is going to factor in at cornerback for Ohio State in 2023. No, no question. I mean, in the way he got the question today was like, is this guy going to start for you? Can this guy start for you? Actually, I guess that was more a question for, for Ryan day where he was like, Hey, this, that's what he came here to do. He came here to compete for a starting job. And that's what he's already on uh, un- what's already underway. And I can, we can take this back to earlier this spring where we, when we were talking to Tim Walton, you know, he acknowledged that Denzel Burke is, is the returning starter of the group, but nobody's guaranteed of a job in that rotation. And I thought the important thing that we heard from Jim Knowles today was just that the level of competition in that whole secondary has been elevated this spring. That's really kind of the buzzword of the spring for that secondary is the level of play last year was not good enough. What was the exact quote from Knowles today? I can't remember something about, you know, the, the, the future of this defense is in building the secondary and, uh, that has to happen and it had to happen through guys improving, but it also had to happen through elevating the level of talent through the portal. And I know it'd been something people have been clamoring for a while, but I think you saw on film and uh, from those of us who maybe talked to the people around uh, Davis and Igbenosin that this, this was the kind of guy they were getting that it was, there was a lot of athleticism there, a lot of reach. Um, I think, you know, multiple instances of that uh, tried and true. He gets his hands on a lot of balls uh, but I think both Knowles and, and Day said that uh, it was oh, happening no. in practice already. So <laughs> it's it's uh, so yeah. So um, it, it, a disruptive guy. They just needed more disruptive guys in in the secondary than they had last year. I'll read this Jim Knowles quote real quick. Davison looked good up there today, picking things up, really just breaking on the ball. I liked his length. You know, he has real length, and he got his hands on a lot of balls, and he was quick to mix it up too. I joke with him all the time. He's got that Jersey toughness, you know, and he's got experience in the SEC, played a lot of football. I just think he's going to bring a lot of competition to his position. And Jihad Carter coming from Syracuse will do that at safety, but this is different, Stephen. Like this is, this is, uh, this is eye catching. It's real. And we talked a lot before when it happened. It's like, hey, it's great to get Davidson Igbenosin, but by the way, it's a trade. It's JK Johnson out. Igbenosin in. You lose a top 100 national recruit at corner, you bring in this guy who played a lot as a freshman in the SEC. You don't know how that trade is going to work out. I don't know, Stephen. Like, day one of spring practice, it's like, okay, okay. Maybe, you know, J.K. Johnson might go do some stuff. But, man, you might take this trade. This guy looks the part. It's going to be interesting watching this battle, especially since it's being presented that way from Jim Knowles and Ryan Day to a lesser extent. Just for the sake of, I did get a peek at a starting unit and also just paying attention to how drills work. Jordan Hancock and Denzel Burke were constantly the first two in drills. And then when they took the first, that first team unit as we were walking out and didn't let us see anymore, those were the first two corners on the field while Davis and Igmanosin and J.R. Brown were the second, second guys in drills. That is, we were talk, talking about this on the offensive line, how none of this is pinned in stone. A lot of this is just kind of penciled in and can be erased a bunch of times. This is one spot 
on the defense where that's how it's penciled in, but that's names are going to get erased and written down and erased and written down probably a million times between now and when they actually take the field for a football game because I got to Physically, he looks the part. Those guys are ahead because they've been in the program and they have experience more than it is. It seems like it's because they're the best two guys right now. That might not be the case come the fall. So let's go to Denzel Burke. We're starting with corners. Jim Knowles on Denzel Burke. Denzel this offseason just stood out, man. I mean, it's just physical development, the way he competed. We were talking about this yesterday as a defensive staff. I have the defense, by the way. We're going to make them do this on Buckeye Talk. I had the defensive staff go through a draft. I'm not going to give out any of the results, but we kind of draft our team to kind of see, you know, what our thoughts are on each player. And you can see where maybe somebody gets drafted. But it, and so, I mean, obviously Denzel Burke got drafted high. That's his point of this draft thing. In addition to being like, oh my God, can we get the defensive staff on Buckeye Talk to do this draft? I think everybody has seen his offseason. Then today, he got his hands on more balls than maybe last spring and. Uh, practice combined. He just seems to be on point. I thought that again, Nathan, talk about getting your hands on balls. Like he Jim Knowles basically said he was Denzel Burke was more active than he was like all last year combined. And he had a great offseason. This is the time of year everybody comes in. How did you do in winter workouts, mat drills? Are you killing it in the weight room? Like all this stuff. Lots of enthusiasm around Denzel Burke. They're coaches, right? But they don't say it about everybody. Nathan, and for a guy again, talked a little bit about Travion Henderson on the offensive pod. Travion, a bit of a tough year last year. They felt that enthusiasm from Travion this offseason. Denzel Burke had a bit of a tough year, especially beginning of the year last season. They are talking about development, physical development, enthusiasm, being on point first day of spring for Denzel Burke. That has to be music to people's ears, Nathan. Well, listen, they saw him play cornerback last year and as you said especially early last year he wasn't getting his hands on balls at all he was kind of flailing out there at times and did not look comfortable did not look like he was in position wasn't in position like so to, to hear that there's progress being made there then maybe a little bit of a return to form is important but I think also hearing that he had a good eight weeks leading in is a, a it's kind of cause effect, right? Because last year we weren't necessarily hearing that he was like headed for disaster or anything, but he gets hurt in preseason. It throws things off. I think you saw that build into the season, you know, him, Jordan Hancock, Lathan Ransom, there's guys all over this secondary that if they can get that momentum building, get a clean runway into the season, I think that alone gives them a better chance to be better players in 2023. So Steven, Denzel Burke, Davis and Igbenosin, and then Jordan Hancock, who the coaches were so high on all last offseason before injuries basically ruined his year. That three-man group for two outside corner spots. This was it, making a list last year on Buckeye Talk. What are you worried about? What could possibly hold Ohio State back? Corner was a constant worry. Could the, Could it be solved? They got to stay he healthy. But mm -hmm. this is some talent potentially, right? This is a chance to be, and this is all guys. We're not talking about true freshmen. We're not talking about Jermaine Matthews, who we, hey, I'm here to talk about Jermaine Matthews all day, Stephen. I know you are too. But this is three mm -hmm. guys who have been around a little bit who might be in a position to do something this fall. Do you think people after the first day of spring practice should be encouraged about the corners? I think – if that's healthy, it's a reason to have some optimism. 
Um, I, I, the physical presence that he is, the experience that Denzel Burke has, and the upside he showed before last year's, just like his body just kept failing him and the, the physical problems he had. And then, I mean, yeah, we've been hearing about Jordan Hancock being this dude for a year now, and injuries didn't let us see that. So if they're going to be healthy, Plus, I'll even throw Jair Brown into that because he showed some good things when he got a chance to get out there. If you feel like you have three guys you can run through two spots, plus a fourth guy, if you really wanted to get funky with this and make it a four-man situation, there's that's a lot of reason for a team to have and a fan base to have some optimism that the overall play level will be better if guys who are supposed to be dudes are dudes but also are healthy enough to do it. So you asked this of Ryan Day about, hey, some of the guys who aren't here right now, are you staying in touch mm-hmm. with them? Ryan Day's talking about, hey, yeah, our assistant coaches are getting on Zooms with these guys. He talked about Tim Walton, the cornerback's coach, yeah. doing that with Calvin Simpson Hunt, who's not here yet. A lot of high hopes for Calvin Simpson Hunt. Jermaine Matthews is here, right? Mm-hmm. Did, you get, did you get eyeballs on Jermaine Matthews? This is a guy that we talked about a lot this offseason. Yeah, day one, so he is... I'd say fifth right now. He was with a walk-on, so I would assume that if Calvin Simpson Hunt would be here, they he he and Jermaine Matthews would be with that. No, he wasn't with a walk-on. He was with Ryan Turner. So I would assume that it would be Calvin Simpson Hunt, Ryan Turner, and, and Jermaine Matthews fighting for that fifth spot right now, just how things stand right now. That's another thing that maybe we should – Check back in on halfway through spring. Hey, as Jermaine Matthews started to make a push after he's gotten a few practices under his belt, but day one, I'm not that shocked that he was fifth. You'd almost, it's almost a bigger news story if he was like second or third, because it's like, okay, everything we think is real. If he's fifth, that just means the guys in front of them are doing, in front of him are doing what they're supposed to be doing. While also, I mean, you tend to do lean veteran on the first couple of days of practice, unless a dude is like forcing his way into the first two uh, units. But he looked decent. They did the one drill I did see though that I thought was kind of interesting. They didn't have a ball while they were supposed to be turning and looking for the ball. They were jamming and press and then, you know, playing press man. And they weren't allowed to turn and look for the ball until they heard Tim Walton's voice. Which is I don't it's maybe training them to maybe time things a little bit better if you're doing it that way. But it was just interesting. They weren't doing it with a ball. And so there was almost a little bit more discipline in going. That's probably part of the reason why Denzel Burke was able to get his hand on more balls today if he was doing that when we left is that drills like that where it's a little bit more disciplined than maybe not knowing where the ball is in the air on deep balls. Okay. So I, I think corner it was Im- important to start there, right? Because Nathan, mm-hmm. I Nathan, like what didn't we spend all last year being like, what's going on? And again, it's maybe De- Denzel Burke has a mid-year injury, maybe takes a little bit of a step back. Jordan Hancock gets hurt. J.K. Johnson gets thrown in, maybe doesn't play that well. So maybe you didn't see it coming. So that certainly could happen again. But I don't know. I feel more optimistic about the Ohio State corners on day one of spring practice than I did October 20th of last season, Nathan. I don't know. It feels like... You know, Denzel Burke's got it back, and Davis and Igmanosin can be a player. That's a big step. Sure. I, and I think, you know, every other position on the defense, there are questions. You know, how you, we answered some questions today about some guys we're going to talk about later. Um, there's questions of who starts at which safety spot or how much CJ Hicks plays, those sorts of things at, at linebacker. But there wasn't a sense of here's a problem that has to be solved the way there is a cornerback. I mean, you could say, I guess you could argue it's safety the way things ended last year. They've got to make 
some some improvements there too, obviously. But corner was the one where like this whole unit isn't functioning at times last year, and that can't replicate in 2023. There's not really a way to beat the teams they want to beat consistently with cornerback still being just kind of a, a hole as it was last year at times. And we started to see, I thought Denzel Burke, the other important thing for him was how he ended the year. I thought he played pretty well against Georgia. I thought you started to see him get it back a little bit. It was almost the opposite of his freshman year, frankly, where he didn't play real well against Michigan and started to kind of leak away from him a little bit. I thought you started to see maybe the confidence come back at the end of last season. And apparently that built into the, the mat drills and, and the winter and what we're seeing now. And I do think I misspoke. I think I said Mississippi State for David Sidney-Benos, and it's Ole Miss. So, I mean, again, that moving up, being here, I think he's going to make a difference. Safety, Stephen. We started off with a misidentification. Oh, is that Sonny Styles? No, it's not Sonny Styles. But Sonny Styles was not with the ones, right? So we'll get to him because Jim Knowles had some stuff to mm-hmm. say about him. Who were the starting safeties from what you could tell? So from the actual team unit, what I saw and what confirmed a lot of the drills, these it, it was in groups of twos again, which I'm pretty sure it was back safeties and then nickel safeties and then the other safeties. So the first group was Lathan Ransom and Josh Proctor. So as I texted to the Texas and as I wrote, it's I would say Lathan Ransom at the adjuster and Josh Proctor at the bandit spot. And then Cameron Martinez and Jahad Carter went in groups with in groups together through drills. But when I saw the eleven man unit, it was Cameron Martinez who was first at the nickel safety spot. Which to the point where I was saying with the cornerbacks, maybe the same thing here. Cameron Martinez has been here longer. Maybe he's got it down a little bit more than Jahad Carter does. So it kind of makes sense that he's ahead of him right now. And then Sonny Styles and then Kai Stokes followed that group as the third group that would go in that situation. And so yeah, we, we as high as we all are on Sonny Styles, um, as even the coaching staff, and even Kai Stokes to a degree, right now they're still third on the pecking order and with a chance to maybe rise up as we get through the spring. But day one, they went old veteran guys first, and then kind of the new guys were in the second unit in a lot of those situations. But wait, if they had two if they had two high safeties paired together and then two nickels paired together, isn't it possible that that third one was just the, the third position and that he would have been first of those two? Well, I mean, Cameron Martinez and Jahad Carter are both nickels. That's what I'm saying. But they went together, you said, right? Maybe I'm confused. Right. So yes. So right. What I'm saying is, it would be if the, if you if we had to put this in a two deep situation, right? Lathan Ransom and Josh Proctor would be the Jester and Bandit. Cameron Martinez is the nickel, is the starting nickel, and then the next group behind that would be Sonny Styles and Kai Stokes as the Bandit and the Jester with Jahad Carter as the nickel. Yeah, and I I was dorking around a little bit, so I I got a glimpse of a, a little bit of a longer glimpse of eleven on eleven when mm-hmm. I was leaving, and those were the three starting safeties was Martinez, Ransom, and Proctor. So um that is interesting because everybody's fired up about Sonny Styles. And Nathan, Jim Knowles was asked, like, hey, does it feel like and it's, it was interesting because he was asked Basically the same question about two different guys. And I thought he gave two very different answers. The Sonny mm-hmm. Styles answer to, do you have to find a spot for this guy? Do you, does he have to play somewhere? Right, Nathan? The answer was basically, yup. Yes. Yes. That you're trying to get your best 11 and he sure looks like the best 11. And I thought Ryan Day had said something reminiscent of that, right? That that you're you're trying to get the best 11 guys on the field. And he sure looks like one of those 11. And I think that's what we've seen coming for a long time and talking about how, 
how he looked against Georgia when they put him on the field as a, a guy as young as he was and with as little experience as he has. Um, I think that was just an eye opener for them that there's not you don't really need to wait around. So the quote from Jim Knowles, he's a guy that our staff is going to point out and say we need to find a way to get him in there. I know he held his own in the semifinal, and I think he's just got all kinds of skills. So, yeah, we've got to experiment with him in different places, see what's best for our defense, but he's definitely on our mind, and he will be all spring in terms of getting him into a position that's effective. Steven, what's your guess right now? Is this is there no guess because he plays – all three safety positions, he's like, a, have we used the Isaiah Simmons comparison? I think maybe we have. That like, yeah. He's just on the field, and everybody else slides in and out of the lineup based on whether Sonny Styles is playing this position or that position, that he's always on the field but always in a different spot. Or, because there's another play we'll talk about where, again, it's, it's this kind of discussion with the coaches of, if you have a guy who's versatile, do you want him to be versatile? Do you want him to play one position and let him settle in? It feels like Jim Knowles is open and doesn't know, Stephen. But what do we guess? Yeah, he kind of talked about, and with the other guy we'll discuss when we get to that position, nothing is off the table right now because they're almost not even thinking about it. They're just trying to do fundamental stuff. So they'll revisit all these conversations, whether it is just playing him at the bandit or Sonny Styles is on the field, and depending on where we have him is who else is on the field with him. Do we want him in the box? Do we want him up high? Do we want him covering a slot? All that stuff is on the table. They're just put it's kind of like a put a pin in this and come talk to me in the fall after we've taught these guys a little bit more because that's what we want to focus on here but i have based on the way Knowles talked and even after seeing josh proctor with starters it didn't back me off of feeling like sunny styles will be one of the three starting safeties when we actually get to the fall it seemed this more than anything seemed like josh proctor's back here and you know is in their mind of the coach deserves a chance to kind of compete for a job here. And this is your opportunity. You're the older guy here. We're going to put you in a situation where starting off this spring, you can go win a job back because you did lose a job to a younger guy a year ago. Let's see if you can win one. But if this dude's better than you, it doesn't matter that he's four years younger than you. We're going to play him anyway. Yeah, I don't, a lot of options. I think they know they have to play Sonny Styles, which I think is good. I think they know it. They know it. They have to, they have to, they have to. It's not a choice. It's not a choice. Sonny Styles is going to make them. And if they want to be who they want to be, you have to be Ohio State, man. You got to play talent. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the older guys. You've got to play talent. And I'm actually getting wound up about the other guy because they agree. They're going to play Sonny Styles. So that's the secondary. Let's take a break and then come back and get wound up about the guy that the answer was different. Next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, be a tech subscriber to two-week free trial. Figure out sometime this spring to do it. Yeah, when you want some spring info, when you're, the mood strikes, 614-350-3315. You send a text to that number. You get a link back to sign up. It's a two-week free trial, so you don't pay anything. 
And then when you, if you want to get out of it, like on day 13, just type stop in the text and it'll stop and you'll never get charged. And also if you do get charged because you stay around for two weeks or more, and then you think, ah, these guys are annoying. Get out of my phone. Just type stop and you're out. You don't have to like call somebody and extract credit card. Just type stop. Really easy to get out of. Okay. So I wrote, Nathan, we, we, we had come up with this idea of previewing spring football through the lens of these teams that Ohio State has to beat this year, right? Some teams on their schedule, some teams not on their schedule that they might have to beat in the playoff. So you wrote about Penn State, what might they have to do? Michigan, what might they have to do? USC, Alabama. And then I contributed one story. And I wrote it Tuesday morning, and I wrote it from the perspective of C.J. Hicks with an interview I did with him at Media Day at the Peach Bowl that I hadn't yet used. And the idea of Georgia last year, six of their top 11 defensive players by snaps, both in the semifinal and overall for the year. Six of their top 11 were first or second year guys. You got to play young talent. You got to do it. Just got to do it. If you want to be that, you got to do it. And we had talked about this in our previous podcast, and you guys had pointed out Sonny Styles and C.J. Hicks. Sonny Styles has a clearer path. C.J. Hicks is more blocked. They are both top 15 national recruits now in their second year. They are very similar. C.J. Hicks said Sonny Styles is my best player on the team. I think he can be one of the best players in the country. I think I can be one of the best players in the country. But Nathan, when Jim Knowles got asked about C.J. Hicks, basically in the same way that he got asked about Sonny Styles, and he said what he said, we just read about Sonny Styles, that is not what he said about C.J. Hicks. And I will tell you, Nathan, I didn't like the answer because James Laurinaitis started as a sophomore. Ryan Shazier started as a sophomore. Raekwon McMillan was a co-starter as a freshman on a national championship team and started as a sophomore. Play special linebackers. I don't care how, quote, blocked they might be, And yes, it's complicated. And to be fair to Jim Knowles, he did leave that door open. He left the, if the guy forces us to play him, we'll play him. He left that door open. But Nathan, he was holding the door shut for about the first 80% of the answer before he got to that. And I don't know. I just, it was a little, it wasn't as enthusiastic as I was hoped it was going to be about C.J. Hicks. Well, the one thing that jumped out to me in the CJ Hicks discussion, I guess the greater linebacker discussion was how much he talked about Cody Simon and all the extra snaps that Cody Simon was going to get this spring and how much that was going to mean for Cody Simon having a bigger role this fall. And that was the first place he went really with, because we've been thinking this whole time that like these extra snaps, Tommy Eichenberg is not playing this spring. He's off on the side. He is, he's not participating. So that was going to mean a lot of extra things for CJ Hicks. And the first Jim Knowles seemed very excited about what it was going to mean for Cody Simon, who I think is a very good football player too and can can help this team. But that was really the first thing that jumped out to me. And then this was an answer that 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 was given today. And I don't want to jump streams too much here because it goes into something else I'm sure we're going to talk about with, with the Jack because he was asked about getting him on the field as the Jack, CJ Hicks on the field as Jack. And he said, uh, I thought about that for CJ because when directed, he's skilled and can get from point A to point B quickly. And I don't know if he meant that as a slight. It sounded like one to me, though. It sounded like, and and so to go to what you're saying about how you have to play talent, I agree with that. It sounds like they might be saying, though, that he's just not here yet. He's not ready yet. The talent that they think is there hasn't broken through the way that it has for someone like Sonny Styles. And yes, Sonny Styles has a more direct route. I don't know that he had like a very easy route to be on the field against Georgia for a 
as a 17 year old, whatever freshman in the playoffs, but they put him there because they thought he would help them win the game. And I don't know if they're necessarily what the reading between the lines. I don't know that I'm hearing them saying they see that from CJ Hicks yet. Steven, you didn't like the answer just as much as I didn't like the answer. I hated the answer and I hated everything about it. It felt very like, I understand what you're saying, Nathan, but it felt like CJ Hicks is ready to play and they're just like holding the door and not letting him bust through the door as much as possible a little bit. Why? What did they say that made you think that? I didn't take, you took it as a slight. I took it as when he says this is a guy who can get from point A to point B. It's like, oh, almost like he can identify a ball carrier very quickly and then go get him as quick as quick as possible, which is what you want from the Jack, especially in the run game, which is something that you didn't didn't necessarily have last year because it never really developed. He didn't say he can identify them. He said when directed. Yeah. Which is so, what the Jack was going to be in year one. Is a lot, Ideally, the Jack a lot of the time was going to be Jack Sawyer oh, no, doing no. what. I, I, I don't like that. That's not Jack this up. Okay, <laughs> I only cool. brought that's that up. That was, the, that was the context yeah. under which okay, you said fine. it. The direct, what, what you said, Nathan, the thing about when he's directed, I thought I thought that was a very valid point. But I don't want to muddy. But generally, yes, I don't actually like C.J. Hicks at the Jack. So let's talk about C.J. Hicks because here's Nate Steven is what is what it reminds me of. So Ryan Shazier is a freshman, right, in a lost season in 2011, right? There, n- nothing is happening. This team is going nowhere. And Ryan Shazier is like the brightest spot they have on the team. And Luke Fickle won't play him because he goes to the wrong gap. He overruns stuff. He flies around, but he flies around too much. And Luke Fickle won't play him. And we're like, all year, Luke, why aren't you, why are you going to play this guy? And they just, they held him back. They, now, but that was a true freshman. Then, as a sophomore, when they went undefeated, he was awesome. Had 115 tackles. And then by a junior, he's like an All-American. So, that is what this reminds me of, Nathan. Directed, right? When he knows where to go and you tell him where to go and he, he goes to the right spot, he gets there fast. Maybe he's not reading everything right. You know what you got to do? Teach him to read it and play him. So I don't like discussions of like, well, you know, the guy doesn't. Teach him and play him. So this, to me, is setting yourself up. That's why James Laurinaitis is here. James And, and the James Laurinaitis quotes from February 1st, Stephen, are very complimentary of C.J. Hicks. Mm-hmm. James Laurinaitis was in the media for a time here and had opinions about Ohio State along the way. And I'll just say, I don't think James Laurinaitis is afraid to teach and play talent because that is what coaches are supposed to do. So the complicating factor here is CJ is not a Mike. He said that. It's not what he is. He said, I'll do whatever they tell me to do. That's not what I am. I'm a will. So mm-hmm. Tommy Eichenberg is the mic. He's the middle linebacker. Cody Simon can kind of play either, but Cody Simon is going to get all these mic snaps while Tommy Eichenberg is out. Steel Chambers, who's the guy at will in front of CJ Hicks, he's fine. He's back for year five. He's not hurt. He's here all spring. But the idea that the end result might be second team All-American Tommy Eichenberg will take snaps away from him to play Cody Simon, but we're not going to take snaps away from Steel Chambers to play CJ Hicks. What are we doing? Steven, that's the thing that like, they again, and Knowles then did say, if he forces us to play him, we'll play him. But man, I hope that they are way open to being forced to play him. Direct him. You're the coach. Direct him 
and let this supremely talented linebacker do something before his junior year. Yeah, and part of the problem is we really don't know. At least with Sonny Styles, there were some times, whether it was the Wisconsin game or even just in garbage snaps, where we got to just see him flash. Guys like him, guys like Caden Curry. C.J. Hicks did not play a single snap at linebacker last year, so there's no reference point for us when he brings up some of these examples. So a lot of what we we have to almost speculate with him in a way that we don't necessarily have to do it with Sonny Styles and Caden Curry because we know what it looks like if they actually hit because they showed it to us in these little sparse moments. With CJ, it's just him on special teams running down there. Maybe he gets a tackle. Maybe he doesn't. But I agree. This guy, the every coach, at the time we've asked a coach about him, they've gushed about his athletic profile. So at some point, you got to play him. I mean, it's the, the 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 way they talked about him. It from an athletic standpoint isn't all that much different than how they've talked about Sonny. It's just with Sonny is the extra step of he really shouldn't be here right now because he's 17 years old. But the athletic profile has always been very similar there. And if you're not, if you're all the way in on, yep, we got to play Sonny Styles. I'm not sure why you're not at least 80 percent there with CJ Hicks yet. And you guys know why I'm mad, right? Because Baron Browning I'm mad, I'm mad because of Baron Browning. <laughs> because I don't like, and, and here's, it's not a problem, but Jim Knowles said in his answer, Nathan, he basically said, when you're in the back end like a safety, you have all kind of space and freedom, and you're kind of floating out there. Now, also, it's like, sometimes they make safety sound like you better be a ninth-year senior because you're the last line of defense and you have to be an eraser. But Jim Knowles on Tuesday made it sound like, hey, you know, there's kind of stuff floating out there. Maybe you don't have to be in the right spot as much. And then defensive line, he's saying, man, you're just like attacking. Now there's a guy in front of me. Win, go attack. And linebackers in between. There's a, obviously, there's a lot of reading to linebacker. But one of my greatest frustrations in my time covering this team was the idea, the way they talked about Baron Browning while he was here. is like, well, you know, we got a guy here who's 100th as athletic but he can read stuff better. It's like, then teach Baron Browning to read it better or put him in position to accentuate what he does best. And instead, they slow played the most athletic linebacker they had since Ryan Shazier for his whole career because they couldn't they couldn't figure it out. And I, if we're here and it's like, oh, uh, you're five for CJ Hicks, I'm going to go crazy. And so this is going to be interesting because Part of this, and this is, it's almost like, just let Jim Knowles be the defensive coordinator. Go scheme it up. But he's scheming it. And Nathan, he doesn't want anybody in his scheme to not do the right thing. So he's like, well, I don't know if we can play this guy. He doesn't go, we have to direct. And I think maybe James Laurinaitis is like, I got this. He'll be in the right spot. Or, because what happened with Ryan Shazier sometimes is he was in the wrong spot. Didn't matter. He made the play anyway. Right? Because guess why? Because mm-hmm. he was special. Can we play the special guys? Are you trying to win a national championship? Can you play the special guys? So that's where uh, I, I was like, it's not blood boiling, but it makes me nervous, Nathan. I understand it. I'm not a coach. And you've got to do your job. I get it. 111th. I get it. But man, CJ Hicks is smart as a whip, man. This isn't some guy who doesn't like who's late to the game, who doesn't know what's up. He'll get it. But he said, when I talked to him, he's like, listen, man, I I was trying to make some plays for myself last year instead of doing what the defense needed me to do. I learned from that. I get it. This is no longer a freshman conversation. This is a sophomore conversation. 
play this guy, Nathan. Am I too frustrated? I'm too frustrated. Baron Browning, I need a break. Sorry, Nathan. But you understand you can't be Georgia if you're afraid to play talent. No, I think that's true. Um, I don't think – I understand your frustration. I understand your concern. Concern is probably the best word right here, right? Because you're just going off, yes. again, the, the historical the historical examples of where this has gone askew. And at the same time, you wouldn't look at that 2018 Ohio State defense where Tough Borland was playing ahead of Baron Browning and say, we need fewer linebackers on the field who know what's going on. You would say, like, how bad would that have been if Baron Brown, if Tough Borland maybe hadn't been in, in there to do some of the things that he does better than Baron Browning does? But that's only, I guess, the one specific example. I'm just, I'm as open minded as I am to uh, young guys playing. Um, the other thing that is a factor here is CJ Hicks didn't really get on the field very much as a true freshman. We did see Sonny Styles play as a safety, as a true freshman. Hicks didn't. And part of it is because he was also recruited in at a time where they had more than two linebackers. And now Knowles comes in and they shifted two linebackers. And that is changes the dynamic here a little bit too. So um, I, 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 I like to wait until I guess I'm reserving the frustration slash concern load for myself till I actually see Hicks play more and can make that comparison. Right now, that comparison is still a lot more theoretical than it is what we've actually seen. He did. Knowles did say that he does hope to rotate a little bit more than he did last year because, like I said earlier, CJ Hicks didn't play a single snap at linebacker last year. But also, there would be times in well-decided games when – you look on the field, everybody else has their young guys in, and then the linebackers, it's still Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers in the game. Like they didn't play any linebackers not named Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers after like week six, unless they absolutely had to because teams went 12 personnel. I, I think that's, and that is a hundred percent a function of the play caller coaching the linebackers. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, it's like you're the, how was it? It's, it's like you're the T, it's like you're, I don't know. Like you're the teacher's kid or the coach's kid or whatever, but it's like, that's actually not what I mean. It's just like, I'm in charge of them. I'm in charge of this group. I'm not playing anybody that I don't trust 100%. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, Perry Eliano, Tim Walton, Larry Johnson, you guys do whatever you want. I'm only playing guys every single snap that I trust 100%. And my thing would be, you know what? Sometimes you guys that you trust 77% do amazing things. Also, take a guy that you trust 77% and in three weeks, trust him 100%. Coach him up. That's what you're here for. Coach him up. Coach up CJ Hicks and play him. Coach, uh, do a chant. Coach up CJ. And that's what James is here for. Because I'm almost sure that's how James thinks. But James is not the linebackers coach yet. He will be next year. He's not yet. Maybe he'll be by September. He's not yet. He's not yet. I'm wound up about this. Baron Browning never played. Now, part of it was the COVID year. Baron Browning never played more than 370 snaps in a single season. Last year, Steel Chambers played like 680 snaps. Baron Browning never played more than 370 snaps. Steel Chambers last year played 680 snaps. Coach him up. Coach him up. Linebackers. Okay. That's the linebackers like Gabe Powers, Reed Carrico kind of fitting in there, whatever. But it feels like Cody Simon's third. CJ Hicks is fourth, but they have two veteran guys ahead of him. And Cody Simon's going to get a bunch of snaps this spring. We'll see what happens with, um, with CJ Hicks. Okay. Let's talk about the Jack because Nathan, as it turned out, the Jack was a failure last year. I think that was officially uh, announced by Jim Knowles 
He said his last year at Oklahoma State, it was basically on the field 100% of the time. He thought last year maybe it'd be like 30 or 40% of the time. He thinks they wound up playing it about 15% of the time, and it was a failure, and the result is no Jack this spring. It is, I can't believe the Jack turned out to be actually worse than the bullet. Well, now let's make sure we're, he's not saying that the Jack is going away. He's saying that the failures of the Jack last year were mostly a personnel failure. They didn't have the right personnel there. And we'll talk about that as it relates to Jack Sawyer as we go along. But the guy that they wanted to be the Jack, and we've said this before on the program, was Mitchell Melton. Like that was the guy who had really opened his eyes. Today he spoke on behalf of Larry Johnson, said he had really opened his eyes. That that was the guy that I think when he looked at this roster last year, he was like, that's the guy that if I were at Oklahoma State, that's the guy who would be playing the Jack for me still. Like that's the kind of player. That's the one that could fit there. And then he gets hurt and it threw everything off. So he's still not back this spring or he's not cleared. He's only cleared for individual drills. Ryan Day today said that's probably all he's going to do this spring because they don't want to. He's had a couple of these now. They don't want to push it. So it doesn't sound like Jack's going to be very heavily involved this spring. But he said it is still part of the long term goal of this defense that that will still be. A, an end game project for him to finally get to there and and talk long specifically term, about long term but long term. yes but not for 2023 because he said i thought the important thing he said was again there was a personnel problem last year they took a guy who was a conventional defensive end and tried to make him well two guys and tried to make them the jack and it didn't work he said we're going to start recruiting for this position we get to pick the best combo player in the country now and get them to come to ohio state and be that so i think that is the right perspective to have about that but i also think you could criticize this and say maybe you shouldn't have tried to force it last year then you should have just gone you had larry johnson's four-man front maybe if that had just been the approach from day one would would the defense have been any worse off they probably would have been better off for what it's worth they have already recruited a guy like that. His name is Joshua Mickens. He'll be here this summer, so he'll be your new Court Williams, Doug. The number 119 player, the number 17 edge rusher. He plays this. So yeah, he does a similar thing at Lawrence Central High, High School in Indiana. He's done a jack type of role within their defense, so it's not like he's coming in here and having to learn it from scratch. He'll just be learning it within Knowles' system. So, yeah, that's your new Court Williams for the next four years. So I so we'll get into more of this. I thought Jim Knowles like admitted to like multiple failures with the defense last year, which was very interesting. And the Jack, I think, is perhaps more symbolic than anything, although we got strung along. We were like, mm-hmm. I certainly was like, the Jack is the key to the Michigan game. And it was like the Jack did not play in the Michigan game. Jack Sawyer played like nine snaps against Georgia. They blew up. Jack Sawyer has wanted to be an Ohio State Buckeye since he was in diapers. Yeah. Jack Sawyer was living in Larry Johnson's guest room since he was in seventh grade. Jack Sawyer in the pandemic was a one man recruiting operation who was having barbecues at his, in his yard because Ohio state couldn't recruit. Jack Sawyer is the Buckeye Buckeye you could ever want to find. He's a five star in their backyard. And Jim Knowles brought in a position last year that destroyed Jack Sawyer's sophomore season. Yeah, he didn't do it on purpose, but he did it, Stephen. There is no doubt the way they are talking about this now. They took a five star homegrown. I can't believe there's a guy this good. 20 minutes from Ohio Stadium and destroyed an entire year of his career trying to make him do some kind of goofy new position. 
This is Ryan Day's first commit as the head coach, by the way. This is when you talk about the Buckeye of all Buckeye. He is the genesis of the Ryan Day era of Ohio State football recruiting. And it's already kind of bad because he technically did lead this team in sacks this year, despite being third among snaps with defensive ends and also trying to play two different positions. Let's just say Jack Sawyer does what he what we thought he was going to be as a recruit this year, next year. Let's just say he's a 10-sack guy, 10-11-sack guy. That's hyperbolic, but maybe he is, maybe he's not. I mean, he's a pass rushing savant. It's a lot of the other stuff as a defensive end he knew he was going to have to develop. But his ability to get off the after the quarterback has always been why he was a five-star recruit. Let's say that happens. We're going to look back on his sophomore year and go, I cannot believe you wasted this guy for a year because you were trying to teach him a different position when you could have potentially had a seven, eight sack guy if you just let him play defensive end for you. I think they should change the name to erase the memories. I mean, it seems so good. It seems so good. Call it something else. Call it the buck or something. Call it the, the, I don't know. Call it, I don't call it the gym, call it the Knowles, call it, the, but don't call it the Jack anymore. It's too painful. It's too painful because Nathan, I think Jim Knowles had said this on February 1st, but I, was like, so that was my one question. Jim Knowles was like, so Jack Sawyer? And he's like, nope, defensive end. So now, so Zach Harrison's gone. JT Tumolo out and Jack Sawyer, Nathan, are going to be the two starting defensive ends who I see, I think will get the the brunt of the snaps for mm-hmm. this team. You know, Caden Curry, Kenyatta Jackson, Amari Abar, like they'll, we, we got it. But I don't know. I hope, I hope Jack Sawyer gets comfortable and we can see what Jack Sawyer can be. Well, and it's important. I think he didn't actually say I didn't get Jack Sawyer enough snaps. And if you think about, you know, he was still going to be third in snaps behind Harrison and Tua Maloa. I don't know if it was going to be a, a lot more snaps that he played last year, but he it's the effectiveness that he thought was diminished. He thought that maybe because he was having to learn the Jack, I think the word he used was focus, right? That he was distracted or he didn't have the right focus to go out and have the kind of improvement and the sort of liftoff that people expected. So now that's 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 going to be uh, that part of it's a moot point anyway, as far as, far as the snaps, because he is the guy. He was always going to bump up into that second spot. I didn't get to ask a question to Jim Knowles today, but I was going to ask him about uh, Kenyatta Jackson specifically, but also like two of the bigger weight gains from last fall. Kenyatta Jackson up 13 pounds to 252. Omari Abor up 19 pounds to 268 per the roster that they handed out today. So we've already been talking about those guys, the second year defensive ends and what they could mean for that rotation and sort of filling in behind. And uh, they look like they're coming. Jack Sawyer played 13 snaps against Michigan and 15 snaps against Georgia. So, and I'm not saying he, he would have been the third guy, but they just, they just didn't, they put him in a position that made him uncomfortable. That didn't work that they then didn't use. (laughs) <laughs> and their two biggest games of the year. So anyway, didn't work. And then he was talking about the Jack and he was like, oh, the future. He was like, oh, Jack, it could be a, didn't you ask this, Steven? Like who, yeah. what does that guy play in high school? And he was like, oh, he could be a running back. He could be a linebacker. He could be all these things. It's basically the guy who doesn't really fit into one position. And it's like, I mean, that's cool, but like do you, I, I probably should have followed up with this, but we were on to that point where it was like one question because we only got him for like 15 minutes. But I mean, that's cool. It's basically the misfit of a team. You take that guy and you make him all of these little things all at once, which sounds good. <laughs> so chip train him is your Jack. I know. Well, I said I was going <laughs> to yell out chip train him. It's like, Oh, <laughs> what are we doing? Except chip train him. Like looks like their best running back half the time. So, but I, I mean, he's a little short, I guess. He's only 5'11". I don't know. 
I get, I, I get what he's get, getting at. I, the, the real answer to that question, because I've had this conversation with him before. I think the first time we talked to him, I pulled him off the side and had this a similar conversation. It's why I brought up Mickens. It's these guys where they probably are the pass rushing linebacker in a three four set, but because this is a four down front where you're kind of, it's kind of like a three three five situation when you have that jack out there. That's the type of guy you look for. So to superstar it. Micah Parsons would have been a hell of a jack because he's not 6'5", 250 pounds. He's like 6'3", 225, but he can get after the passer, but also you can back him up in coverage. This is not me trying to secretly convey a conversation that I had. This is me one gazillion percent just speculating. I wonder if Larry Johnson's a fan of the jack. Um, Larry John. <laughs> so <laughs> the way maybe he said it on the record, okay, when he the was way, talking on February 1st, the way he was answering these questions on February 1st and the way he's always kind of answered questions about the Jack. Not really. It doesn't seem I, like I wonder about that. I wonder if Jim Knowles is like, you know, uh, you know, I really see this as a long-term fit, you know, once Larry Johnson retires, yeah. he hates it. <laughs> he hates it. Cause Larry Johnson's like, uh, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Chase Young, Tyquan yeah. Lewis, Sam Hubbard, Zach Harrison, not good enough for you there, Mr. Fancy Pants? Are they not well, good? So, uh, well, I'm not so sure, Nathan, that's not a factor here, too. Most of those names are getting farther in the past, though. You, if you're, if you're going to make that if you're gonna make that argument that you can't take one of my defensive ends off the field, then keep producing those defensive ends, I suppose. But I think it also, there is also an element here where, I mean, Larry Johnson, yeah, it's been that that four-man front has worked for so long, and the way he's developed defensive ends has clearly worked for so long. Uh, I think if if you are recruiting specifically for that position, I think that makes it a little bit more palatable than if you – the Jack Sawyer, who you've been, like, molding into the defensive end that you want him to be for all these years, and then now you take him one year into his development and try to do a a new thing with him, I think that's – less palatable. I think that's harder to take. But I think if you're if you're yeah. recruiting that position separately, specifically for that niche, I think that helps. Yeah, I, I agree with that because it's not the same. It's probably why Mitchell Melton, he's been so high on Mitchell Melton because he's a guy who maybe fits that body type a little bit more. It's not the defensive ends that Larry Johnson recruits aren't jacked body types. They're four down, put my hand in the dirt, defensive ends. And so to try to turn one of those guys into a jack, it probably was never going to work. Even if it would have clicked in Jack Sawyer's head, his like physical makeup is just not the type of guy you're looking for. When you just go watch film of other places where this, this Jack Leo has been implemented for Jim Knowles. Okay. Last break. When we return, you will hear Jim Knowles talking about some of these other things that did not go right last year for Ohio state's defense. And then we'll come back and talk about that next on Buckeye talk. Boy, you had to bring that up, dude. <laughs> and what you've been I was to feeling so. I was and feeling what so been good and positive, right? Um, so you try to look at the things that worked, right? We try to, you know, we do percentages and course of the season and, and the things that worked. And then you say, okay, how, how did those things fail? Or I look at myself and my calls and, and you know, how I can kind of ch- change a little bit early on you know, so that the matchup games, those areas where we let down in one-on-one matchups that were costly, uh, I need to find ways to uh, protect our guys better. But I can't do that, like, 
just that week. I think I had I have to have more of an, uh, a bigger view, you know. So some of the things that I'm going to put in camp spring are are geared now more to those ma- more to those matchup games, you know, to avoid those situations where one error is costly to our to our defense, you know. And then I have to preach the competition against our offense. We got a great offense. You know, I feel like I was uh, last year more into the teaching aspect of it to make sure that we got it, understood it. But I now we understand it. I need to ramp up the uh, accountability for competing in practice one on one in all those spots because that's a every practice for us for us is like a matchup game, right? These big matchup games. We need to perform better in practice against our offense, you know, and treat that as our practice for when we get to the matchup games. All right. So, Nathan, Jim Knowles, you know, kind of saying I maybe should have been more competitive with the offense. I, I read a lot of that as he was too aggressive. So the stuff that we're pointing out, that that zero blitz on J.J. McCarthy where Cam Brown misses one tackle and it gets for, goes out for a touchdown. When he's saying, you know, the stuff that he's talking about, like I, I didn't do enough to like protect guys. I was trying to do it maybe in certain games, but we weren't doing enough the whole year. I read that as too aggressive guys on islands. One missed tackle, one mistake leads to a touchdown instead of a 20-yard gain because there's no help. And so we had this constant discussion last year of like, Jim Knowles, is he aggressive? Is he too aggressive? What does he want to be? A lot of it seemed to come back on they want to be aggressive, and I think they have backed off of that, Nathan. Well, I think it was also him acknowledging getting caught a little bit in between um, install and development. And that is, uh, to some extent, I suppose every program has to deal with that when they're bringing somebody new in. And, you know, um, didn't seem to hurt Michigan in 2021 when they brought in a new defensive coordinator and then beat Ohio state and went to the playoff. You know what I'm saying? Now they had an eight. Now, now to be fair, they kept the same system. Those guys came, uh, Mike McDonald and Jesse Minter were like clones of each other. No, no, no. I'm saying into, I'm saying into 20, no, I'm saying into 21, not, not last season. I'm saying into 21 when they brought Don Brown to Mike McDonald. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, uh, so, you know, uh, there's other examples of it working. Um, I, I do think though, it, 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 the other thing that I was thinking of when he says things like that, I can't help but think, oh, so would it help to have like another uh, defensive assistant coach like helping like another actual defensive backs coach or another linebackers coach who could, you know what I'm saying? Like it gets back to how you've arranged this staff. Like it, it would help you maybe develop some of these guys. It would have been a it would have been a useful thing to have instead of having and I don't have a personal thing against Parker Fleming. I don't think anybody on this staff does. But like this is how they've chosen to do it. Take an offensive guy to coordinate special teams and then have him be in the defensive back room meetings sometimes for ostensibly some some purpose. Um, you're costing yourself in developing the defensive players when you do that. I, I don't know how you can argue that you're not. And I think this might be another example of where it showed up. And I would refer you back to the Parker Fleming podcast from about three Great weeks ago if you guys want more <laughs> about Parker Fleming. So, um, yeah, he's had even, his I don't chance. Know, I, I'm to... sounding, I realize, yeah, no, Parker Fleming made his case. 
Stephen, I'm sounding like very personally frustrated with Jim Knowles, and I'm not personally frustrated with Jim Knowles, but it's just interesting. And the other thing, too, is like all these failures, I don't know, they made the playoff and lost to the national champion by a point. Like it's, And it was better. The defense yeah. was better. The, the good thing I think that's in here, Stephen, is the defense was significantly better. The whole conversation, by the way, it's one of these things when every time last year was like, hey, you think you have a top 25 defense? And everybody like be like, oh, we're going to be number one. It's like, are you? Okay, so like a year was, ago, we were having the, oh, we want to be number one. Now we're having the, let's list all the things we did wrong conversation. That's why mm-hmm. we were talking top 25 on this podcast. We weren't talking number one. So let's just chill out on number one for a while, okay? So you get everything sorted out. But, Stephen, there's a chance to get better here because Jim Knowles, I think, is acknowledging some places where it went wrong, and that means they have a chance to improve. Yeah, and – whether that's you know putting way too much on cornerbacks plates who haven't been healthy all year so you can't really trust them so being aggressive in those situations probably isn't the smartest thing I, I go back to something he said this a lot when we first got him and really throughout the whole entire offseason our job is to get the ball back to the offense as quickly as possible well and while there is some truth to that yes when you've got cj stroud and jackson smith the jigba and Travion henderson and marvin harrison jr and emeka Bookley, yeah Get the ball back to those guys because they're probably scoring touchdowns. It made a lot of sense, but it kind of explains some of the aggression. And we got to get off the field. We got to get off the field. We got to get off the field. We got to force turnovers. We got to force these quarterbacks to be uncomfortable, force these offensive coordinators to overthink because we get got to get the ball back to that guy because number seven is dialing up all types of crazy stuff. I wonder if some of the back off is one, just seeing how last year played off. And sometimes you don't have to be, we got to get the ball back to the offense as quickly as possible. Sometimes just be smart and be sound and you'll still get the ball back to the offense as quickly as possible. But also you don't have CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith, the Jigma coming back. You have Marvin Harrison, Emeka Buka in a brand new starting quarterback. And you're not really sure who that is yet. So maybe you shouldn't be as aggressive and putting yourself in situations where just in case, I mean, more than likely this quarterback's going to be pretty good, but don't put a first-year starting quarterback in positions like C.J. Stroud had to deal with in the Oregon game, and then he wasn't able to overcome them. But don't you think he's also in saying the that if he had the guys, he would stay just as aggressive? I think he's saying if we had the talent, if if it was developed, if if they if they had the personnel they wanted, I think he would be just as aggressive. I think he's saying that they have to step back fix the talent and then move forward with probably what he, I don't know that he's saying I'm making a giant philosophical shift in how I look at football. So Nathan, to that point, the quote was, I need to find ways to protect our guys better, but I can't do that just week to week, week to week. I have to have more of a bigger view. So that idea of protecting your guys, right? So I understand what you're saying. Do I, do you need to protect them because they're not all American cornerbacks? And they're not going to succeed on the island every time. And so you do have to protect them. Or do you mean philosophically, you just don't want to put your secondary players in as many situations like that? I don't, I think I'm not sure. Now, you, he did talk about, I was so worried about install. We maybe I was too busy teaching. We didn't develop, right? That's a point he absolutely made. But I don't know, Nathan. I, I, I read that potent maybe as partially a philosophical shift, right? And listen, man, give me Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore and we'll play man coverage with no safety help all day. Okay, 
Well, but short anything short of that, Nathan, I don't know. I think it's to be determined. But the bottom line is, which is every conversation we've had about this defense, better pass rush equals better corners, better coverage equals better pass rush. But I think the idea that they got beat on mistakes that killed them, mistakes that led to touchdowns, the idea of we want to get the ball back to the offense, they punted up 11 in the semifinal with 8.51 to play. The defense got the offense the ball back in 17 seconds. You know how they did it? By giving Mm -hmm. up a 76-yard touchdown. So, hey, congratulations. You got the ball back to the offense really fast. But maybe let's not have one bad hip turn by a safety lead to a 76-yard touchdown, Stephen. That's a good point. He he said he wants to get the ball back to the office as quickly as possible. He didn't say that was always going to be a good thing. He just wants yeah. you to get back out there. So, yeah, there's there's almost a – whether it's Tuesday or it was February 1st, it's it's been a constant theme of just time and place for everything. It's a time to be aggressive. It's a time to not be aggressive. Whether it's – because it doesn't matter the situ- whether it's a scenario because – they're up seven or down seven or because your cornerbacks are not healthy enough and haven't been able to develop in a way where they can hold up one-on-one in coverage because you're sending the rest of the world to go get a quarterback. There's a time and place for everything. And I think the way he was, he's been talking the last two times we've talked to him, the Georgia and the Michigan game taught him that in a way that maybe the first 10 weeks, 10, 11 weeks weren't necessarily teaching him. Cause even when, cause the big plays were a problem all season. It didn't matter until Michigan and Georgia because Michigan and Georgia capitalized on them. That led to a win. So our guy uh, Lance Riesland, that's I'm not done mad. I'm not film mad. break. The guy Lance Riesland, who's done film breakdowns for us, um, he has pointed out that he thought that that Knowles was just asking too much of the sec- the safeties, especially that you're asking them to defend light corners, and we're probably uh, stretching them beyond what maybe their capabilities were. Um, but I, I just I heard a lot today about Knowles talking about needing to elevate the caliber of play back there like one thing he said i need to ramp up the accountability for competing in practice one-on-one in all those spots because every practice for us is like a matchup game these big matchup games we need to perform better in practice against our offense and treat that as our practice for when we get to the matchup games now that could be him also saying i need to think about how i'm calling things against our own high-powered offense and 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 you know, if I wouldn't expose us against our offense that way, I can't expose. But I think he's also saying it's time to raise the standard a little bit. We can't just, you know, say that this other offense is great and we'll do the best we can. Um, how much more can this defense stop its own offense and let that be the standard of how the the skill is being raised in that room, Those both those rooms? The, the thing that's hard for me to wrap my head around in all of this, although maybe it's not, is the idea that, Whatever the deficiencies are from a talent standpoint with the Ohio State defense, and they still are clearly not peak Ohio State talent on the defensive side of the ball. It's the most talented defense he's ever been a part of. It's more talent than Duke. It's more talent than Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. So the idea of, hey, we need to develop guys better so I can hang them out to dry more often. It's like, how did you succeed at Oklahoma State with this? Because... You don't have a Denzel Burke at Oklahoma State. You didn't even have like the Denzel Burke who wasn't as good as the Denzel Burke before. I guarantee it. You didn't. Malcolm Rodriguez was good. He was still a sixth round pick, but he played good as a rookie. But he's on a corner. So there's like that's the thing. I you know the idea of like, hey, here's a guy who succeeded where he didn't have five stars. Man, when he gets five stars, what's going to happen? And it's like I don't know. They're going to blow coverages. So 
you know, you got to admit, like, it's one of those things. If he came out and was like, oh, no, I'd do it all over again. Last year was perfect. I'd be going crazier, right? So this guy's admitting to the mistakes. And the first step in correcting mistakes, Stephen, is to admit it. Mm -hmm. So this is a $2 million a year coordinator who just was part of a team that made the college football playoff. It's the most success he's ever had. And they got much better than the year before. And to his credit, on the first day of spring practice, a lot of what he did was talk about the things he needs to do better. So even though pointing out those things frustrates me a little bit because it's like, well, what, then why did you do it? Okay, can't change the past. I, there's, there's opportunity here, Stephen. And he did say, he had some comment that was like, listen, you know, it kind of takes me a little time. When I go places, it takes me a little time to get it all together. So maybe this will be another step up for this defense in 2023. Yeah, he spe- he specified that with the secondary too, with this system that it maybe takes the secondary a little bit longer, um, which kind of put me a little bit at unease because the secondary is already now in what year four of not being good. So if it's if it's already taking some time for Ohio State secondary to be good again, while it also takes more time for the secondary to be good just in this system, then you're wondering, okay, how many more years until we see an actual good secondary here? Maybe that changes this year if guys are healthy. But you just that that part of it put me on pause a little bit. But like you said, two million dollar a year defensive coordinator who admitted his mistakes because we've all heard coaches where we say all year this is not working, this is not working, this is not working, and then it finally doesn't work. And then they'll just say, no, no, we just, you know, just got to execute better, give you the coach speak, and make it and to kind of like double down on those decisions they made. The fact that he's not doing that and learning from that, pairing that with maybe a healthier back end, maybe we do see them take that jump because this, as, we, as we've all admitted, this is more talent than he's ever had. So if it took him four years at Oklahoma State, and maybe it took him four or five years at Duke for the secondary to come around, maybe it comes around in half of that time here because the talent's higher. But also, it's you're learning from your mistakes quicker because the mistakes, you don't actually have to pay for them until the end of the season most of the time. And I will say, Nathan, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think this very possibly is his last job. I don't doesn't seem like he necessarily wants to be a head coach. I don't know that he's going to, I don't think he's going to get taken away by the NFL. He's never done that. And so this is not being sarcastic. Like year seven of the Jim Knowles defense might be lights out. And usually when I say stuff like that, I am sarcastic. So the thing that you would, you would imagine, Nathan, there's two ways this could go. If you do get, Hey, the more Jim Knowles is here, the more they recruit to it, the more the players learn it, this defense gets better and better and better and better. By the time it's locked in, say year four locked in, Either A, the Ryan Day, Brian Hartline quarterback, receiver, recruiting, let's go offense is still rolling, and now you've paired it with a legitimate top 10 defense, or Brian Hartline's gone to be a head coach somewhere. Maybe, I don't know what Dylan Rayola, you know, you read this Twitter stuff, it's like Dylan Rayola, hey, Nebraska, is it USC, is it Georgia? And it's like, oh man, it's certainly not Ohio State. Let's say, for whatever reason, they take a little step back offensively. Maybe now all of a sudden this becomes a defense that can is capable of carrying a team, that you don't have to be so weighted towards the offense. So I do think there is a payoff out there, Nathan. So I, I think Jim Knowles' first day of spring practice of year two, this was a conversation that he needed to have with himself, and I appreciate him letting us in on it. But I haven't given up on this guy long term. 
I'm just a little like, okay, well then, uh, well, okay, well then it maybe should have been better faster last year, but I get the whole long-term thing, Nathan. Do you like, do you believe that? Like year five of Jim Knowles is going to be, let's go to the rodeo. Listen, I mean, there's a track record there that we've talked about before of the steady improvements that he's made at pretty much every place he's been. So he's not starting from as low as he has other places. Doesn't have to take them as far to get them where he wants them to be, where Ohio State needs to be. I mean, as you said, this is still like a top 25 caliber defense. And that, in the right circumstances, has been paired with offenses like Ohio State's and turned out to almost was. It almost was a national championship still defense this past year. It was right there. So, you know, it's it's not a, a massive overhaul that has to happen here, but there are clear improvements that have to happen at crucial situations, crucial positions. And when you've been around here long enough, I, I don't say that uh, to point out your age because you're not that much older than me. I say that in respect to the tenure you've put in on the beat um, that you've heard. I'll say that. I'll say it to your age. I'll say it to your age and I'll say it to Nathan's okay. age as well. Yeah. Well, I haven't been here that long. <laughs> but my whole point being that you have heard plenty of coaches come in after a year where a, a unit underperformed or a ha- whole half of the ball underperformed, and they don't say some of the things that Jim Knowles is saying as far as, I was wrong, I did, I should have looked at it this way. In retrospect, this would have been the better approach, and this is how we're approaching it going forward. And I think that's uh, – I understand why it's frustrating in retrospect, but you're talk, talking about a very – it's a zero-sum thing where only one team gets to win a national championship, and you want to hear them admitting uh, that they, they're trying to make progress, and they are open to uh, self-criticism and self-improvement. So two things. I do feel a little bad that a guy comes in and admits to mistakes, and I'm like, yeah, you made mistakes. So I, I shouldn't be that way. And the other thing is I sit on this podcast every day, and I stare into this video, and I just watch my hair thin. I just watch it. I'm like – it's thinner than it was yesterday. And this, these headphones, it's thinner. It's going to be thinner tomorrow than it is today. And then one day I'm going to come on here and I'm going to be bold. Did you, so did you just try to insinuate for that? Did you just try to insinuate that It's like the headphones are wearing your hair away. Like that's the problem no, here. I think it, no, the headphones accentuate help. the yeah. thinningness. Oh, okay. I see. So, so I stare, it's like, it's, it's, I may as well be looking at a, a, a skull staring back at me. I'm staring at my own death through my thinning hair every day. And what do I do every day? Every okay, day I'm on this podcast watching myself waste away. It's okay. I like podcasts. Did you guys ever have a blonde stage of your life? When I was when I was born and my hair was blonde, I had a blonde stage. It was I had, you were blonde when you were born? I was oh yeah, okay. I was blonde most of my like up through high school. Like Justin Timberlake in sync blonde or no, like naturally blonde. Like I didn't blonde. have to go dye my hair. I was like a, a dirty, very blonde kid, oh. like a dirty bean field blonde. Okay. It would still, oh, you, yeah. it, what, what throws it off now is the beard because the beard came in kind of reddish, but I never had reddish yeah. hair is just the beard. So it, it, if it, if you can just imagine the hair just darkening over time, but it was very light when I was a kid, I was very blonde. Hmm. Were you ever blonde, Steven? <laughs> nah, <laughs> little blonde, little blonde, three-year-old Stephen running around. Uh, okay, so we're facing our mortality, and we're yelling at the defense for admitting that it should have been better. <laughs> That's what we do. Thursday, we will be watching another practice and talking to more people, including Brian Hartline. So this will be the plan again. We will not pod Thursday until after practice. So Thursday pod will be up late afternoon on Thursday. 
And then I think we'll drop a second practice pod on Friday morning. So we're happy to drop this one on Wednesday morning for you guys. We so much appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. Go read our stories from what's happening with spring practice at cleveland.com slash OSU. A great time for the texts. And don't forget to the uh, listen to the College Football Survivor Show where Shahan and I this week will also be making some early playoff picks because we'd like to check in at different points of the year and see where we are. So we're going to make playoff picks in March and see what happens. For now, for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.